My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. to go to the bathroom really bad. This is not normally the way a sermon starts out, hey? I figured we'd go there. But then someone wants to talk to you. They want to tell you some rambling story about the world they're building in Minecraft. And there's something about a, a dog and a spaceship, but they accidentally flooded the spaceship with water. Um, or they're telling you about this YouTube video that they were watching, watching, and most of it seems like nonsense and you don't really understand. All the while, the only thing you can think of is making it to the bathroom, but they just keep going. No? Just, just me? I don't know if you have kids, um, but kids always, they just have this knack of catching you at the worst times especially when you're heading toward the bathroom and story time starts. They just want to tell you what they're up to. They want to connect with you. You know, they want to feel like you're listening, like you're a good parent and, and you're trying to engage. And you know, the, the dogs are bugging to go outside or barking at the front door and the other kid is crying and needs a diaper change. And you were cooking something and now it's fire. Um, You know, and you can certainly forget about doing stuff for yourself, right? So maybe this isn't your exact situation, but you can imagine the chaos. It takes a significant amount of patience to have kids. Parents, you are saints. Don't ever forget that. In case you haven't already guessed, this morning we're going to be talking Probably about everyone's least favorite fruit of the Spirit. Patience. Let's be honest. Nobody wants to be in a time in their lives where they have to work on their patience. Have it tested or be stuck in waiting. Or, you know, pretty much anything to do with patience at all. We don't like it. This week, as I was trying to write this sermon, I feel like God was trying to teach me a lesson in patience. Is that every five minutes, Levi would come down and be like, I'm stuck in the game. I need help. It's like, it's like I'm trying to write a sermon, buddy. Or, I got to go to the bathroom. Okay. Or, Seth just would not sleep. And so I spent half an hour trying to get him to sleep while well, I'm thinking, I got to get this sermon done. I got to get this sermon done. I got to get this sermon done. Our world is not designed for us to be patient. Amazon delivers packages in two days or less. If we have to wait for something, you know, we're in line somewhere, we pull out our phone, start cruising Facebook or whatever, or we pull, pull out a book or a newspaper to fill the time with something else. 
But sometimes there's things that we have no control over and we just have to wait. Maybe it's a job application you're waiting to hear back from or you put an offer on a house or someone is, you're playing a board game with someone and they're stuck with analysis paralysis and saying anything would just make them take longer. It seems as though we encounter often situations where we are required to be patient and yet we don't like it. I've heard it said lots that if you, you pray for patience that God will put you in situations where you have to be patient in. While this is not at all accurate, God isn't like, okay, you prayed for it, here you go. Tough situation. Have fun. Be patient. The reality is, if at any point in your life you come in contact with other people, which I'm sure most of us do, there's going to be times where you have to be patient. Just the way it works. We can't control everything. But the real kicker is, there's only actually one real way to develop patience, waiting. Which also makes it a little bit hard to talk about patience sometimes. So this morning, I'm just gonna stand here and build some patience in you and we're just gonna wait. Could you imagine? I'm not gonna put you through that. That would be, that would be really mean. See, I couldn't even wait that long. Different translations of the Bible will often translate words slightly differently than others. While one might say patience, another says long-suffering or forbearance. It's a nice, old, strong word. In translating from one language to another, there's often kind of not a perfect one word that shows us what the meaning is. So when we look at the Greek word used for patience in Galatians, oh, too far, where are we going? There we go. Uh, Galatians 5.22, the literal translation for this word is long temper. So that paints, paints an interesting picture. The ability to hold on to your temper when situations would push you into losing it. Also find it fitting that some translations will translate this word as long-suffering. That paints a picture of something I have no interest in doing. But there's something about the Spirit's work in us that brings us to this place where we can do something like holding on to our temper or suffering long. Some translations of the Bible, like I mentioned, will use the word forbearance. It has a bit of a deeper meaning around it than just waiting. Forbearance can say, conveys a sense of self-control, restraint, or tolerance. It's implying that we have a choice in how we respond to God and to others when things don't go our way. It's interesting that we have, a, we have the choice. I think often we find ourselves struggling for patience because we have a desire for control. <clears throat> Excuse me, for control. We want things to go the way that we want them to. I talked last week about 
how I'm a very particular person. I like things a certain way. Um, I'm going to tell you, this does not help with patience at all. When you like things a certain way and they don't go that certain way, it's hard to hold on to that patience. But patience is really about the opposite of control. It's about letting go of that control. If we are waiting for someone else, whether it be God or another person, we really have to give up control of that situation. We can't control other people like that. So this morning we're going to take, we're going to be in a couple of places, um, but we're going to take a, a look at a picture of patience that I think is painted really well um, by Joseph in Genesis. So Joseph's story spans from Genesis 37 uh, to the end of Genesis in chapter 50. While uh, with jo- Joseph's story being so long, it would take a while. People have done lots of sermon series, so not just one week on the life of Joseph. So I'm not going to go into all of the details. If you want to find out all of the details on how exact- exactly how patient he had to be, um, I would suggest that you read those 14 chapters. So I will, I'll kind of spare your, yourself and your stomach um, as, it, as noon draws closer. Don't want to have any growling stomachs going on today. But we're going to take a look at some key moments in the life of Joseph that show the length of how patient he had to be and how much he had no control over the situations he was in. So Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob who would eventually go on to become the nation of Israel. Joseph was born to Rachel, who was Jacob's favored wife, and she, gave, uh, she died giving birth to his youngest son, Benjamin. So this morning, we're not going to go into the idea of how having more than one wife is definitely a bad idea. But if you want some support for that, there's quite a few places in Scripture where you can look. And spoilers, most of them don't turn out great. But anyway... The Bible tells us in Genesis 37.3 that now Israel, who God changed Jacob's name to Israel. um, So now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully with him. So here we have our first real introduction to Joseph other than the fact that he was born at one point. The Bible mentions that before this. So Joseph was loved by his father, and his brothers felt the opposite. How the brothers treat Joseph is a convincing argument to me to not pick favorites. But Joseph's story really gets going in the next verse when he has a couple of dreams. So in verse 5 it says that now Joseph had a dream... And we told it to his brothers. They hated him even more. Seems like a good time. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we are binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And then in verse 9, he has a second dream. It says, Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, 
I have had another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Needless to say, his brothers were not impressed. I would be too if my little brother said, behold, that many times in a row. Because of this moment, Jacob, sorry, Joseph, gets thrust into a long period of having to be exceptionally patient in order to see the fulfillment of this dream, of this promise that God has made to him. So Joseph's brothers get mad and eventually come to the conclusion that they need to kill him. They've had enough. Joseph is just too much. I think that's a bit too much if you ask me, but that's, that's where they went. Luckily for Joseph, his oldest brother Reuben uh, convinced them not to kill him. They threw him in a, a pit instead. Um, and he had the intention of trying to save him, and, but he left the group for a bit and then came back to find that they had sold him off to some traders. They, saw, they thought, let's profit from this, uh, our anger, and let's sell him. So Joseph ends up being sold as a slave, and they end up in Egypt. Joseph gets sold to a guy named Potiphar, and because of Joseph is a good worker. He is diligent, and God, the, several times in the story, it says the Lord has blessed him. So Joseph rises to become Potiphar's number two guy. But during this time, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph, and she wanted him for herself. And so Joseph continually refused her, continually said, no, this is not, this is not right. Through some tricks of getting rid of all the servants in the, the building, uh, Potiphar convinced her husband that Joseph tried to take advantage of her, and Potiphar had him thrown in prison when really Joseph took off. He ran. So here we, we have Joseph again, not in control. Just when things were starting to look up, he was Potiphar's number two guy. He, was, he may have been a slave, but he was entrusted with a lot. And now he's in prison for something he didn't do. But even when it didn't look like the Lord was with him, God gave Joseph favor in the prison. So in the prison, he was put in charge of other prisoners, and the warden did not check on what Joseph was doing because he had proven himself faithful and proven himself to be able to, to carry the weight of those things. But while he was there, a couple of Joseph's workers had, or Joseph's workers, Pharaoh's workers were put into prison because they displeased Pharaoh and that's just how things went for them. And during his time there, both of these guys had dreams. And both of them were kind of opposite. But they brought it up to Joseph, and Joseph was able to, through God's wisdom, interpret the dream. So what, it turned out well for the cupbearer and not so well for the baker. And Joseph said to the, the cupbearer, because he, he knew he was the guy that was going to get back to what he was doing, don't forget about me. Finally, the cupbearer remembered, or sorry, skipped ahead. After another two years of waiting in prison, Pharaoh himself had a dream that no one could interpret. Finally, the cupbearer remembered, hey, there was this guy in prison that interpreted my dream. Let's go find out if he's still there and bring, bring him. And then God gave Joseph the interpretation to Pharaoh's dream, and it was about 
seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Um, and through that, Pharaoh was so impressed that he gave Joseph the number two position in e Egypt. He was number, number two only to Pharaoh. Throughout Joseph's story, uh, with all of its ups and downs, Joseph was all over the place. I'm sure for Joseph, it was incredibly hard to remain patient. But not once does in scripture, does it report that Joseph grumbled or complained about what happened to him. He remembered what God had promised through his dreams. And even when Joseph's dreams was finally fulfilled after years of waiting and his brothers are forced to go to Egypt for food uh, because of the famine in the land that had been predicted through Pharaoh's dreams, he didn't choose to rub it in their faces. He orchestrates a way for all of his family and all of their family to come to Egypt and have the best of the land. Joseph's patience paid off. But even when Joseph, in chapter 50, has the, the opportunity to get revenge, he says something incredible that just blows me away, that he would respond that way. After Jacob dies, their, their father, um, the brothers think, oh boy, now's the time. Now, now that dad's gone, Joseph's going to get us back. But Joseph responds differently than they think. So in verse nine, uh, 19 of chapter 50, it says, Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? Wow. As for you, you, are meant, or you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Oh, that's supposed to say bring. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I'll read that again. So as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. What a response. After years of struggles, years of ups and downs, of being sold into slavery, being put in prison, after his brothers so deeply wronged him, he responds with grace. Patience is not just about waiting for something to happen or to not respond poorly to situations. Patience is about waiting with grace. It enables us to live in a world with all of its demands and still have love joy, and peace. I found this quote as I was preparing for today in a commentary, um, and I don't think I could say it any better, so I'm just going to read their, their comments. It says, Patience is waiting on a good God, knowing that his timing is perfect and his purposes for ourselves, the church, and the world will be fulfilled. Thus, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives, but that work is often wrought through difficult and painful circumstances. A correlating scripture would be in James 1. When he opens his letter, he says this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. 
For you know that the testing of your faith, faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, a biblical teacher, Francis Chan, talks about this passage, and he gives an incredible picture of what this process looks like. He talks about the fact that this testing is like the testing of a silversmith when he tests silver. He'll heat the silver up to a, a liquid temperature, so taking the, the, me, the hard metal and making it liquid because it's so hot. Then he'll take it out of the fire, let it cool, and as it cools, the impurities will rise to the surface. He'll scoop them off and start it all again. So he heats it back up so that this process again and again and again and again, this is a picture of what patience looks like. This is a picture of what enduring the trials of life looks like. Then eventually he gets to the point where he's scooped out all of the impurities and he can look over the, the pot of silver and see his face reflected back because the silver is so pure. So slowly, as we rely on Jesus more and more, this is the process that we go through. That we, through the trials of life, are made more like Christ. I've read through the, the classic devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, a couple of times. And in it, uh, Chambers will write this. He says, God gives us a vision. And then he takes us down to the valley to batter us into the shape of that vision. It is in the valley that so many of us give up and faint. Every God-given vision will become real if only we have patience. Makes me think of Psalm 23 that we talked about last week. As well as the story of Joseph that we've talked about this week. When I think about Joseph's story... I can't think of a way that he would have responded the way he did without going through all that he went through. If somehow, just through turn of events, Joseph ends up as the number two guy in Egypt, I don't think he has that same outlook, that he can respond with the grace that he responded with. During those experiences, he relied on God and the vision that God had given him. And he came to a place that he could see God's hand despite the evil intentions of his brothers. Having patience when you see someone making poor life choices or choices that hurt you and affect you in ways that they had no idea that, that, that they were doing, this is the exact way God has chosen to respond to us. The Apostle Paul will write in the book of Romans, he will say, in chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation, which is a payment, uh, essentially. Uh, so, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because he, in his divine forbearance, had passed over former sins. This is a picture of God's patience for us. 
we've all messed up, we've all made mistakes, we've all gone our own way. But God chose, in his great patience, in his forbearance, to have grace for us. To send his son, Jesus, in our place. His patience knows no bounds. David, who was another man who knew what it was to wait, in the midst of a trial, he wrote this in Psalm 103. He says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows the compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. The patience that God has displayed for us is the same patience that the Spirit works in us. The patience that comes from the work of the Spirit is less about the ability to hold your tongue when the kids aren't getting along or not getting annoyed when you've asked them to put their shoes on for the millionth time or when they go and do the exact opposite of the thing that you asked them to do or perhaps the person at work whose report you're waiting on and the boss is on you about getting your part of the work done. The patience that the Spirit works in us includes that, but it is more about the long-suffering we need when someone has deeply wronged us, or when someone we love has been suffering through a tough situation. It is waiting on the Lord. Patience is a sign of strength, is a sign of the work of the Spirit in us. It takes way more strength to remain patient than it does to give in to our temper or to give up. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit and not of the flesh. Therefore, we need the Spirit's help to grow patience in our lives. Patience is about becoming more like Christ who is ever patient with us. We cannot be patient on our own if we just try harder. It's not the way it works. So in order for us to grow in patience, there will be some waiting involved. But not just waiting for something to happen. It's waiting on the Lord. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Let us be those who display the same patience and grace given to us toward other people. Be encouraged today that Jesus doesn't expect you to bear all your fruit at once, in one day. This is a process. But take it day by day. As you put your faith in him, let the Spirit work in you. Be grateful for God's patience towards you. And pray that you may continue to grow and to bear fruit.
Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your patience for us. We thank you that you didn't give up on us when we were your enemies, when we were against you, when we were in rebellion. But Lord, your grace came and you waited patiently for the right time to speak to us, to to reach out, to invite us back in. Lord, as we draw closer to you, would we we be like the silver that is being purified? Would we become more like you, Jesus, as we wait, as we endure? Lord, would you help us along the way? This is not something that we can just make happen. But it's only by your Spirit's work in us that we could have the patience that doesn't make sense. The patience that, when in all, on all, all accounts we should have lost it by now, we don't. Because of your Spirit's work in us. So Lord, would you help us to display that patience to others? Would you help us to look at situations, look at events, and be patient, to wait on you and to become more like you. Jesus, we thank you that you are working in us at all times, that you're not just setting things up and letting them go, but that you are actively working, you are actively moving, even when we don't see it, even when we don't know it, that you are working in us. We thank you for that. We praise your name this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. I could write a melody that all of heaven's choir sings. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. Hillsideairdrie.ca is our website. And you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hillside Airdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdry.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go. At best it all means nothing With our love it all means nothing I can dine with the kings and queens My name go down in history But if I don't have love it means Show me how to love like you Cause if I don't have love It means nothing If I can't love my neighbor like I love myself
Crashing symbol. Yeah. No, I don't wanna be some empty noise. Down on my knees, Lord, I surrender. Jesus, help me to love with the love like yours. Jesus, Jesus, I don't wanna sound. Like a crashing symbol No, no, no I don't want to be some empty noise Oh, I'm down on my knees Lord, I surrender oh, Help me to love with a love like yours like I love myself and I want to move when my brother cries out for help don't want to be too proud to forgive before the sun goes down then there's a light that I've been living what would it mean the best it will all mean something With love, it all means something. Yeah. I hope it all means something. <laughs> 